the Treehouse, episode 20, Lord Waxwarf's Big Idea, with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. <laughs> I Which... don't, I don't, it's, it's a terrible thing to do, come on uh, laughing at the only scripted part of the show, but very good morning to everybody. Here we go again, another two hours of fun for old and young without the slightest hint of vulgarity, but... Uh, I assume one or two are long-time listeners of mm. the various places I've pitched the tent. And Lord Waxworth, even you, that was the first... It was the, uh, we it's the a... first thing you had me say on air. How about that? In one of your many, <laughs> many shows. Yeah, you've got it, great we need Peps, Peps, come in here, yeah. say this. And it was, why, Lord Waxworth? Well, what, what did we try to do? What we tried to do, uh, we begin the show in a minute. If you've never heard this before, uh, go back a couple and you kind of... Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, and And... We tried to write line by line an entire film on the air. Uh, and uh, I remember it used to begin, because uh, I, I had some, I, I haven't got that kind of music, but I have, if I had this thing, it started like this thing, this sort of thing, <laughs> the beginning of the film. And then it, the, no, no words, and a caption would come up. London, 1894. A small red sports car makes its way across the South Downs. Inside the ball... Two people are meeting for the first time, and then you had to say, "Why, Lord Waxworth?" <laughs> and that's as far as we got. That was as far as we got. So, uh, 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 and I mean this in the kind of he's back, back, back. I, I mean this because this start of the show is fine, but uh, we seem to be indulging ourselves. So, what we're going to do, and this is start it again. Okay. And don't worry, I'm not really starting it again. Leave all this in. <laughs> Off you go, Peps. The Treehouse, episode 20. Lord Waxworth's big idea with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. See, that's, that's the thing. If I might just, if anyone's thinking, you know, it seems like falling off a log doing a podcast. It is. And you're just fooling around in a radio studio. Just fooling around. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. You hear some of these, and I'm not necessarily pointing a finger at the Fred and Rose West tapes here, but that you'd, you'd think they were creating for the ages. <laughs> Quiet, please. Bells go in studios. People run around with furrowed brows. We are making a podcast. Anyway, very good welcome to you, everybody. Uh, that's Louise Pepper on the other side of the table. Uh, and uh, as usual, we try and, at the beginning of the show, like there's a middle and an end, uh, we, we try and shine <laughs> Historically topical. Historically. That's it. That's exactly what it is. There you go. Uh, if anyone wants to write the, the second line of Lord Waxworth's introduction, uh, then, then by all means do that. Uh, so uh, today it was the very first um, uh, U.S. opera, the very first opera perf performed in the U.S. in oh, 1735. Okay. All right. And I've never heard of it. It was called The Hob in the Well, right? The Hob. I don't think Americans are necessarily... Uh, got, you've got your jazz and your blues, yeah. Mm. You've got your rock and roll up to a point and your musicals. But I don't think opera was ever there for time. No. The and Hob in the Well. The Hob in the Well. Um, and I, of course I looked it up. Yeah. And uh, uh, a pricey of the storyline, according to Wikipedia, is Tom Testy keeps his heiress niece, Flora, locked up. But Flora wants to marry Tom Friendly. Now, after... I, all the names. Could they Tom, not have got Tom I, I, and John? I, I, Why I, do they have to I, be Tom? Tom? No, but Tom Testy and Tom Friendly. <laughs> the bad is Tom Testy. and the, I mean, they're nicking a living, aren't they? They are <laughs> nicking a living. I mean, I know they only had 13 colonies to amuse, but... Never come on, Mr. Ben the Opera. Yes, exactly. And that went out as, you know, uh, it was um, written by Neely Bruce. He was the second person I've ever heard called Neely. N double -E -L -Y. The Neely other one, Bruce. Neely Bruce. The other That's one amazing. was uh, Anthony Newley's sometimes collaborator, Neely Plum. Ah. <laughs> 
Neely Plum. I thought you were going to say Anthony Newley's child, like Neely Newley. (laughs) Bravo, Pep. Man, you're on fire today. Absolutely Neely Newley. (laughs) A Neely Newley production. This level of humour should not be amusing us quite as much. But Neely Plum... Uh, might, might, have, might have married Tony Newley. <laughs> Newly, Newly. <laughs> well, that's enough entertainment. We'll see you on Saturday. Oh, oh man. So, um, also, by the way, uh, Marcel Duchamp's new descending a staircase uh, was unveiled in public for the first time in 1913, I think. Have you ever seen nude on a staircase? No. Duchamp is the one that did said thing that, like... Oh, no, I'm thinking of Magritte, aren't I? Who's Ceci Nepo? Oh, look at me trying to hang in there. Yep, <laughs> yeah, 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 a lot of people cl- confuse those two. No, uh, this is a pipe. No, I have not seen the nude coming uh, down the staircase. Well, would, it would... I've seen do, nude on a tennis court. Do yourself a favour. Pause the podcast, everyone, here, and go and have a look at it if you don't know what it is. It looks like... Have a look, Peps, and see if it should be called, actually, a load of old lumber falling down a <laughs> lift shaft. I was... I've got to say, I was a little disappointed. Nude descending. I thought it might be a little bit racy. Staircase. Uh, nude descending staircase. Have a look. You'll think you're... you're oh! That's a wood carving. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a load of lumber falling down a lift shaft. It ill behooves this show to suddenly thumb its nose at Marcel Duchamp. I know. But uh, anyway, the, the two big things. And the show... What were your emails here? The show... What? In full armour or something. I don't know. It's, well, if, nude, if but... You, if you, no, it's not a nude, is it? If you took that photo, you'd say, what's the matter with his camera? He's done the image about 35 times. I know one's supposed to... One is supposed to walk around it, tapping your teeth with a pencil and saying, ah, but I, it got me this morning. I can think of at least one thing wrong with nude descending a staircase. Uh, so none of, none of this should detain us. Uh, two things in the skies today. Right? So two things in the skies. Uh, and I'm not saying this just to be cutesy pie. Uh, Elm Farm Ollie, right? In 1930, Elm Farm Ollie became the first cow to fly a plane. No, no, to fly in a plane, right? To first, uh, yes, in a plane. Didn't fly the plane. Um, and uh, uh, but it was also known as Nellie J, the cow, which sounds like a well, contemporary. This is terribly singer. confusing to a cow. <laughs> I know, but. You'd think this is just too small for... You know, but you look it up, it's a hugely famous thing in America. They took uh, Elm Farm Ollie up in the, in the first uh, flight for a cow, right. and she also became the first cow to be milked on a flight. Not well, we got her up here. We got her up here. <laughs> uh, Elmsworth W. Bunce became the first person to milk a cow. It was all happening on this day. Uh, uh, the milk was then sealed into paper containers and parachuted to people below. Oh, now that, I mean, I'm there We that. think we're so way ahead now. They're way ahead back then. Yeah, you, you, can, have all, you can have all your brittle walls you want. You're not taking a cow up and parachuting into Amazon milk Amazon wants in on this. <laughs> but imagine, did they, what else would, we'd get little just... parachutes and send it down to people. For what, for what end, we don't know. But if you think <laughs> this is, you know, just a, a, a nonsense story, you have a look how famous Elm Farm Ollie the first cow, possibly the last cow to be in a plane. Uh, but Elm Farm Ollie. But all of this, drop of tea. All of this. Um, sometimes I just think we let the Steely Dan thing play and give people a break. Um, so all of this is leading up to uh, the one big thing today, which is when Pluto was discovered. Dear oh. old Pluto. Yeah, I know. I know. We all feel for we all feel for Pluto, don't we? Because what happened there, and they took away the. Um, it took away its license. Yeah. Uh, it took away its liquor license or something. Um, Pluto's actual full name, one three four three four zero Pluto. It's got a full. It is. That's its full name. One three four three four zero Pluto, sir. Uh, and it's always a beautiful thing, I think, um, 
uh, Pluto, and they took away its license. Five moons, Sharon, Styx, Nix, Kerberos, and Hydra. So he's doing better than us. Doing a lot better than us. Uh, it was nearly called Atlas. Oh, so that would have been Atlas. Uh, and then Zeus. Mm. And then, up, right up until the last minute, it was going to be called Percival. Oh, no, I will Planet Percival. Percival. No, Saturn. So, uh, but, but then uh, a Venetia, Venetia Bernie in a competition called it Pluto. Uh, and exactly the same year, Pluto turned up in Disney. There is some debate about what came first. Disney said nothing to do with the planet. But the planet, did they see the Pluto? Did yeah. Venetia, she was 11 years old. Don't tell me she really named it <laughs> after an underworld god. She didn't do that. She told her dad that, but she'd been to flicks and seen it. Anyway, that was in 1930. And I'll put this, and I promise, then the show starts. I don't think I'll find any, anyone to argue with this. I think Pluto is the weakest of all the Disney characters. In You see a Pluto film, it's, it's very thin. It's very thin. The fellows really didn't knock himself out with Pluto films. There's nothing... It, it, there's the confusion with him and Goofy, of course. Yeah, I was about to say. Because he owns Goofy and... and Goofy owns him, and but he's more of a pet than an actual. There's nothing in it. Character. Very, very thin. He doesn't speak. He doesn't walk upright. He doesn't wear clothing. And all cartoon characters wear at least one piece of clothing. Pixie and Dixie. Do you know who Pixie and Dixie? Are? No. Oh, not. Pixie and Dixie. They were very much the um, uh, Harry Potter of their day. Oh, okay. That may be over-aggrandizing Pixie and Dixie. There were two cartoon mice. One wore uh, a collar and tie, and the other wore a waistcoat. A little waistcoat, nice. uh, and that—that's—that's that's how you knew Pixie from Dixie. Don't ask me. But uh, Pixie and Dixie, top top cap or a top hat? Yes. And he wears a waistcoat, doesn't he? Yeah. Does he have a bow tie as well? Actually. No, he wears a long tie. Yes. Right. <laughs> a proper tie, uh, and and you know some of Secret Squirrel, you can barely see him. But uh, but Pluto doesn't have clothes at all, at all. Because no, he's a pet, isn't he? Basically. Yeah, but he's, he's an adjunct. That's an interesting psychological slant on the thing, but he's, he's still a cartoon character. He, he, he's too sensible. He wears a collar, you know. Chip and Dale. Do Chip and Dale wear clothes? I think they do. On uh, occasion, I think. Anyway. Definitely uh, when they're rescue rangers. And, and just in the tidy up here. So um, uh, Pluto, which is mainly made of methane, Ooh. and methane was discovered on this day by Alessandro Giuseppe Antonio Anastasio Volta, who later went on to do electricity as no. well. Yeah, that's why you have volts. Starting methane? He started methane, and then... Which cows a, emit. Which cows emit, thank you very planes. much. Yeah, so they do, so they do. Well, and, and so, as I, any dog owner will tell you, so do dogs, Goofy and Pluto. <laughs> but, um, and he also, the battery, really. Do you know how batteries work? I have no idea how batteries work. Uh, There's acid in there, that's all I can tell you. Is there? Oh, no, battery, battery acid. acid but it? little batteries. Oh, right. Don't they have... How does, what's, how does that work? You put it in the, you know, your Walkman, and and and, you, and and it goes, and then it stops going. So, but what's what, what's going on in there? Because you've got your A battery, your AA battery. Mm. I think there's a triple AAA, yeah, they're the littly ones. And then it goes straight remote. to D, doesn't it? Is there a B battery? I don't know. Uh, D ones are the, are they the, what the squarish? You can't always get them. I can't believe it. Because they have that kind of flower thing on the top, not an actual, yes, don't they? They have that. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all we've got time for this week. I do apologise, everyone, but Peps and I don't see each other between shows. You can go and listen to the Fred and Rose West tapes if this is all too lightweight for you. What are we doing this morning, Peps? Number one, <laughs> the most peculiar thing you've seen in a theatre or cinema. Sorry, I haven't... Got a belter on that. Got an absolute belter coming up on that. Number two, riding in unconventional... 
know, what's, what's I'm, I'm all over the place. That's where I should be. Okay, That's lovely. No, right, start the number show again. three. <laughs> number three. Funny old shops. Funny old shops. And number four. Unlikely records your parents liked. Um, uh, we're going to leave Which these writing until uh, Friday because I haven't given much. I didn't tweet about them much, so I think a lot of people are hearing that for the first time. But any mm. subject we've ever done, you know. The door remains open, or, or even make your or, own. Yeah, up. we've got a few of those. You can tell we're not nailing this down every episode. What you got there, Peps? Well, I'm going to go straight into unlikely records your parents liked, and this is from uh, Andy. My mum had an extensive collection of records by the middle of the road crooners: Johnny Mathis, Andy Williams, Matt Monroe, etc. On the plus side, this got me into Scott Walker by via his mm. '70s budget albums. On the minus, it stretched as far as Des O'Connor which to me was clearly too far. No. But every so often she caught wind of a novelty single that to her took her fancy and she came home with Running Away by Sly and the Family Stone or Sound and Vision by Bowie. Oh. The ultimate example being Rupee Edwards' dub hits, <laughs> Irie Feelings. Irie Feelings, of course, on the Cactus label. Yes, a scanner. Which she bought and played a lot. Wow. Sadly, she then went back to the norm rather than exploring the works of King Tubby or Burning Spear, but it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> on the other hand, my dad only listened to two things, brass band records and blaster baits. Blaster baits, what man. What a household. Uh, I'm not going to take issue with every... Uh, every uh, one's musical taste when they send in an email. Let me put it another way. I'm going to take issue with everyone's musical taste when they send in an email. If you put my arm up my back, you don't even have to do that, and said, if you had to remove one of these artists from your life, you'd never hear again. Would it be Scott Walker or Des O'Connor? I'll go with Des. I'll I'll keep Des. I've never, I'd never cared for Scott Walker. Never. The albums always seem tremendously overwrought. (laughs) uh, And I can't do with all that Suboperatic gloom. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Des O'Connor had a big hit with Jim Dale's Dicker Dum Dum. Now you're talking. Uh, Dicker Dum Dum. Do you know Dicker Dum Dum? Dicker Dum Dum. Dicker Dum Dum. Dicker Dum Dum. Take that, Scott Walker. And by extension, Bowie. Anyway, um, Dicker Dum Dum. Big hit. Big swinging okay. great hit. Uh, Jim Dale wrote loads of great songs. Georgie Girl and all that. Dicker Dum Dum. I've seen uh, Jim Dale's one man show, and he was sending this demo out that he planned to write lyrics for but in lieu of the lyrics he just did what the guitar lick would be doing while it was doing it and so he started singing dicka dum dum dicka dum dum dicka dum dum dicka the demo went out and it was recorded like that and it became a big so hit so that was the placeholder that was the placeholder yeah but it was supposed to be showing how the you know the, 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 he was going to dub another guitar going like it, Johnny um... Cash and it became dicka dum dum not going to other podcasts Paul McCartney yesterday was um, I'm really Uncomfortable. What's the matter? No, I, I, What's the matter? It must be my ears. I sound like I can't hear myself. You can't hear yourself. Um, that's right. You see, that's it. When Phil goes away, it all falls down. It all falls Fellas in there are taking a smoke. Anyway, but go on, perhaps. <laughs> um, didn't he call it scrambled eggs or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. It yeah, was scrambled yeah, yeah. eggs. Yesterday, so yesterday, similar, yeah. yesterday was scrambled eggs. Uh, but so you're going to get other podcasts contrasting Dicker Dum Dum with the entire <laughs> oeuvre of Scott Walker. Uh, this with is a Irie Feelings. This is, oh, Irie Feelings. That was a real <laughs> pick out. Did you, you see the weird thing with you, Peps, is you, um, uh, you, 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 your parents would have listened to records that I listened to. I forget how much. We were younger. a. Um, now, my parents were born in the late 40s. They were born in 47, so they're, they're a bit older than you. So they... Yeah. Oh, so sorry. Right, I'm with you now. Yeah. Uh, yeah we were a Motown yeah. household. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of Beach my, my Boys. My parents were not, wouldn't have... You know, they, they didn't play many Motown <laughs> records. They did. He liked Barry White later on in his life, my dad. I like him. I like him. 
uh, he did, and he, he he found his size amusing as well. But uh, uh, that, that's, this is uh, from our friend uh, Tim, and this is uh, s- extraordinary thing seen in the cinema or the or the um, as your father's home. Let's go. <clears throat> Way back in December 1986, the Regal Cinema in Skipton, where my da- was where my dad took me, the ten-year-old me, to see Transformers the movie. Oh, a classic! Have you seen it? No, no, no. This is a sub. I think all boys my age would go war oh, classic. No, I don't. You see, uh, no, I'm trying to get through these. You know, here we, uh, there's a sub uh, category here. Uh, children's films you've, you've suffered as a parent. Now these days the bar is high. These uh, days the bar is very excuse high. Excuse me, I went to Paw Patrol Race to the Rescue this week. And Did that's you? An hour of my life I'm never getting back. <laughs> Did Little and enjoy it? He loved it, and and we had quite a temper tantrum when he he turned around and went, "Can I have it again?" Did he? Because he thinks he's at home where telly <laughs> just comes on demand. Well, oh, I when I Sonny, had to really explain that don't happen at the cinema. So. I saw two terrible films when uh, Sonny was younger. He was a big fan of um, uh, well, there was Mario Brothers, the film which Bob Hoskins took the money and run in and that even he <laughs> didn't think that was very good. He didn't think, and I sat all the way through and at the end of it, I said, "Do you enjoy it?" He went. Um, some of it. I remember him saying that. And there was a film of a very short-lived toy range called Spawn. Oh, oh it, was, it, was, it was really rotten. And he stood on his tiptoes at the box office because you had to be you know, like, like 10 or something to get into it. <laughs> and it was, I do apologise, Tim's telling us his story. Sorry. Went, Spawn. I could always tell when later on I bought the video of it for him and it remained on his shelf... <laughs> <laughs> I said more than Mark Kermode ever could. Here we go. 1986, Regal Cinema Skipton. My dad took the 10-year-old me to see Transformers, the movie. In the Saturday, into the Saturday matinee we went in the quite large auditorium that was barely half full. I found my favourite spot, halfway up the cinema, in the middle. That's very good to 10 years old to have a place in the cinema. Yeah, makes sense. Fourth row back, mate. What about you? I, I'd, I'd be with him, actually. <laughs> There's loads of people sitting there, and then you've got people eating sweets behind you, loads of people coming and going in front of you. Halfway up is a way over. It's a risk of a crick net. No, it isn't. Fourth row is perfect. Fourth row is is, is, all civilised people agree on that. Anyway, here we go. Um, uh, So here we go. Halfway up the cinema in the middle. It offered the best view of the film I've been waiting for ages to see. This is Transformers the movie. So, uh, my dad soon grew a bit chilly and said he was off to find a warmer spot. And so if I was OK, uh, I could stay right where I was, and so off he went. I was engrossed in the film, and I offered a barely distracted nod. Away went Dad. The film continued for what seemed like hours to the ten-year-old me, but it was probably only about 20 or 30 minutes or so, and I noticed an usherette walking up and down the aisles. She usually offered ice cream, but she wandered into the cinema, worked her way down the rows until she turned her torch and started going right to the end of row C to speak to someone slumped against the wall. Of course it was the old man. <laughs> in his search for warmth, he'd found a spot next to a radiator and got so comfortable he'd fallen asleep where his snoring had started raising complaints. <laughs> Being a 40-year-old man seemingly on his own falling asleep, asleep in the middle of a children's film in the cinema <laughs> must have played on his conscience. So he returned to his seat next to me and watched the rest of the film. Now, my old man was absolutely always falling a kip in films. Ice Station Zebra, Spring and Port Wine... <laughs> You want to go to pictures, boy? I'd say, yeah. And uh, he'd sit there, because he'd, he'd have a couple before we went in. And uh, then he'd go into the pictures. And barely would the titles be over with. Mm. Oh, no. Mm. 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 
And I would stay. Oh, yeah, go on. <clears throat> and of course, eventually, someone would turn oh. around and go, Could you pack that up? And my old man would say, I can pack you up in a minute. Dad, it's it's somewhat affecting the... Uh, yeah, he used to say, I'll back you up with him. Whatever he said, he could turn it around and do it like that. So, uh, uh, apologies. Have we got a phone, someone on the phone yet? Or uh, should we keep working yeah. our way through these? Here we go. Here we go. Give us something over there, Peps, and we'll do this. Cool. This is um, Ross in Lincolnshire. <laughs> Everyone has a tale to tell the treehouse, and this is mine. OK. Unfortunately, it doesn't fit into any of your open yeah. subjects. <laughs> It may have come up in the past and I've missed it. Not myself, I'm coming up with 35 subjects a week. (laughs) There you go, go on then. And in case I miss it, should it come again in the future, this is my subject. I knew I shouldn't have touched this. Oh, brilliant. Well done. Well done, my friend. He said put it on a pile to await that topic, but we'll we'll let him create it all of his own. That is open right now. Go on. Many years ago, I was temping in the city of London and got a gig at a major auction house in St. James's. (laughs) If you think of the major one, this was the other one. Oh. So is Christie's superior to Sotheby's or is it the other way around? How does one tell? One of those two. I would say gold Sotheby's, silver Christie's. Anyway, there goes our sponsorship. I was shown into a back office, empty aside from a chair, a desk, a phone on the floor, a couple of sheets of discarded A4 and hanging in the corner, a small brown oil painting of a woman. Oh. Vaguely interested in paintings and knowing absolutely nothing, I cast my eye across it. Unencumbered by a velvet rope, I got really close to appreciate the brushwork and the confident application of the oils. And it was at this point, knowing I shouldn't have, I laid my greasy mitts upon it. (laughs) I even had a little scratch. That done, clicked my tongue, said, modern Dutch, and carried on with my work. (laughs) An hour and a bit later, a besuited cove wanders in and says, ask if I mind him showing a potential buyer the painting on the wall. In walked a person who I can only assume was a shake. He sat themselves, they sat themselves in front of the work and gazed reverently, and the next words sent a chill to my toes. And there it is, sir, the Rembrandt. No. I knew I shouldn't have touched it. He did a little scratch. This, uh, Balin Leonard, whom God preserve, I used to broadcast with, he, not to a Rembrandt, but he, uh, I was doing, have you ever broken anything in an art gallery or museum? And I think it was Balin. He, he saw a painting and he thought, it looks still wet. And he limped forward. And touched it. Of course, it was dry as a bone. But as he took his finger away, there on the end was a flake of paint. A little flake of paint. And he he estimated the painting, I don't know where he got the figure, was worth about half a million. So he had about 25 quid there, (laughs) right on. He said, we only a speck. But he didn't know what to do with it. He thought, this is proper 17th century oils. And he walked around for ages like it was on on the end of his finger. We will do that as well. People who have... uh, uh, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. No one's talking to me. I'm just saying, oh, okay. Here's an advert. <laughs> pack it up. <laughs> I'll pack you up in a minute. So, uh, uh, what have you got over there, Pep? Well, we've got Some... Chris on the line. Oh, great. It's, it's Chris. Our friend Chris. Hey, Chris. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hello, Chris. Have you ever fallen asleep in the cinema, Chris? No. No. You no did, I did your dad ever fall asleep in the cell? <laughs> I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Poor Chris had taken no, the time. No, my, my, 
Well, my dad probably would have fallen asleep in the cinema, yeah. Yeah. It, Undoubtedly. Yeah, it, 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 my man was, it was a regular feature, and a lot of our listeners were finding out. Why are you tugging our coat, Chris? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a story about it saying about holidays and not going away too far on it, holidays. A couple of weeks ago, we were asking, what's the shortest distance anyone's ever travelled to go on holiday? What have you got? Well, well, it's not it's not exactly the shortest distance on holiday. Mm-hmm. But what they, what they did was they, they, they lived in a town called... Uh, in, in called West Molesy in Who Surrey. Did? Oh, I know West Molesy. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was on the one show. No, it, it, that was the old six o'clock show. We did something about the battle yep. between East and West Molesy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one, yeah. And, and, it, you, and, you, and it, you stood and said to the vicar, and the vicar said to you, West Molesy, in East Molesy, it's a digging implement, and in West Molesy, it's a bleak and shovel. Yes, he did. Yes, that's the kind of thing. <laughs> we were, I, I believe uh, the six o'clock show and the ascent of man are television's two <laughs> greatest achievements. Uh, uh, so here you are in West Molesy, and... Uh, 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 yeah. So did you go to East Molesy on holiday? Is that it? <laughs> no, no, no. They never went to East Molesy. Better than that. They went to South Sea. They went it, who's to South who's they? Is this your parents? Mum and Dad. About 60 miles away. My mum and Dad, yeah. That's a good distance. OK, 60 yeah. miles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I mean, years ago, because they'd have to go on the coach and, and the, or the train, they, mm-hmm. they didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. So if they was out about an holiday, they'd have go on a coach trip. What do you and mean, a couple years ago, used to have a mystery coach trip? Yes, you do. The, magic, oh, the magical mystery yeah. tour. I don't know if they still operate mystery tours. I mean, they, 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 I've never seen one. No, I've they they they, one. they 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 used to be extraordinarily popular. I suppose they're a bit mm. a bit weird now. You get on absolutely. a coach, but you don't know where you're going. It sounds absolutely. totally fun. Yeah, so they got on a, a mystery tour. Yeah, well, I went on a mystery tour. I had a day trip on a mystery tour, mm-hmm. and the mystery tour took them to Hampton Court. Oh, <laughs> literally. <laughs> What's that about? That was how far away is Hampton Court? Uh, well, it's it's in East Molesy. Oh, is it? <laughs> is it? Is it? Pretty much. Is yes. it? I didn't. I have no wonder. Whenever uh, I've had a séance and I've got Henry on the uh, uh, on the speakerphone, uh, he always says Hampton Court was my home. He never says East Molesy. I didn't know no. it was in East. I didn't know it was in East Molesy. Hampton yeah, Court. Yeah, Hampton. It's, you look at the dress of Hampton Court Palace. It's Hampton Court Way, East Molesy. Is that, is so they, did they pop home yeah. for a copper? So they went on holiday and they went back to where they live and they used to push right there every morning on the way to work. <laughs> oh, Chris, thank you so much. That's a belter. They're Go on, on holiday, holiday and have a magical mystery tour back home. Back home again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, bless you, my friend. Thank you very much indeed. Can I, can I, you know you were saying about the dogs as well? What dogs? The dogs that understand the story. No, no, no. The, 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 I, I, this, this was a controversial thing a few weeks ago, but I, I still have it. The dogs don't understand music. And some people say, they do. You should see well, them. They react. Do. No, they don't. They do. Go on, go on then, anyway. If I, play, if I play football, I play football with the dog, uh-huh. our dogs in, mm-hmm. in the garden. Yeah. And if how long, like the twit that I am, I'd, I'd sort of do the dum 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 a match of the day. And I'd be done while I'm playing with it. I'm sitting in the lounge and the dog will be sitting there. I think, oh, it's about time the dog had some exercise. So I'll start going da 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 da. The dog would run out into the garden and start playing with the football. Yeah, but sitting in the dog's mind. No, don't get me wrong, I'm a dog lover all my life. And I own some of the, you know, dumber dogs ever trot out of a pet shop and I find them amusing like that. But it's just like. They know their name, but they don't speak English. You know, they, right, when, when you, you right, when you yeah. do it, they hear. I saw a great card once, and it was an owner saying, "Do you want to go out? How about we go out? We go down the woods with your ball." And he said, "That's in the first caption. That was it in his speech bubble. We'll get your ball. I'll get my coat and we'll go out. We'll have a nice walk." And then it had the next caption, "What the dog hears," and there was just a load of scribble there. <laughs>
I know, I know. Is it? There's certain certain things they recognise like smells, but believe me, when you're doing match of the day, don't think that oh, dig it. I wonder who Gary's got on tonight. I wonder if City will be the. <laughs> he actually thinks that usually means something good, but uh, unless anyone and it, it, the professor comes up with anything else, dogs do not understand music. I don't think so. They they don't dance. Uh, they do. oh, actually, they do. Now no, they dance. Starting. They dance, but they don't understand music. And I've been out with at least five girls who fit that description as well, I'm afraid. They don't. Oh, no, they, I'm, I'm sorry, I did. I, mean, I used to be a real bore for that. I took a girl to see Isotope once. I'm not saying they're wrong. Isotope, you wouldn't know, but Isotope <laughs> made you know, Gentle Giant look like plain sailing. And I took a girl to see Yes, uh, and all she wanted to do was go to see the Motown Review, quite rightly. <laughs> And she fainted at a Yes concert, right? She did. Did she She's... pretend to? No. We, it was was it, Rick really Wakeman's, she was looking at Rick Wakeman's sparkly cape at the Rainbow in London. And she slumped onto the wall and then sank down it because it was standing room only. It's absolutely true. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, 15-year-old, she, she doesn't get music. Oh, she got it only too well and she liked to dance, though. And we went outside and the Rainbow Theatre used to have a fountain in, in the lobby. Oh. An actual fountain, which is a beautiful old... Um, uh, it's Moorish theme it used to oh, be. Oh, OK. This fountain, and I took her out and sat on the fountain while they're halfway through, you know, uh, uh, close to the edge. And I splashed the water on her face because she was all groggy. Uh, Rick Wakeman's glittering coat made her pass out. <laughs> no, it did, it did. You know, like on shows when they say... Um, Can that be a title one week? <laughs> it's glittering coat. But you know, like when um, uh, they say on television it may contain flushing. Oh, yeah. oh that did it, it had triggered And a... she went... And we sat on the thing while I'm thinking, oh, I'm missing, you know, fragile and stuff. You're right there. Uh, but she came to and she walloped me right round the face and said, don't you ever do this to me again. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of me trying to say, you don't understand music, my dear. She understood music perhaps better <laughs> than I. What you got there, Pep? This is from Stuart. I didn't realise who I was talking to. Ah. Uh, when I was living in Sydney a few years back, I was staying with my horrible in-laws in Blackheath, a small town in the Blue Mountains. Oh. Blackheath. I can call them whatever I like now. They're not my in-laws anymore. So many of them. I've replaced them with nicer ones. We've got so many bitter correspondents. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, wishing to extri- extricate myself from their presence for a while, I pretended to be enthusiastic about taking their dog for a walk. Off I sent, off I set, grumbling away to myself to the nearest park. On the way out of the park were two young kids and a bloke who I assumed was their parent. And the kid asked them if a parent if they could pat the dog, and he asked me if that was okay. And sure, I replied, she's more scared scared of them than her, etc., etc. Spot of not a successful non-bitey dog fussing ensued, and everyone passed away passed along with thanks and farewells. It was only as they were t- turning to leave that I actually took a look at who I'd been talking to. Go Tom on. Cruise. No. No, turns, no. Can't turns choose. out him and Nicole, showing how long ago this was, used to rent a posh house in Blackheath whenever they were home in Sydney, because, of course, that's where she's from. Oh, of course she is. Yes, she is. It was too late to say anything like, fancy a pint? Wow. Cheers, says Stu. Because I'm forgetting she's uh, Australian. Yes. I'm forgetting, you know, um, I, I could never warm to her. She's not going to lose any sleep about that. I might as well take her to see Isotope, uh, uh, because she's got tiny teeth. Really little teeth. Yes, she has. You ever look at Nicole Kidman's teeth? They're like a baby's teeth. Uh, Never noticed. Oh, you have a look. If, 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 if you look, when she, when she smiles, there they are, hundreds of them. <laughs> but honestly, they're so little. And it would be like one of Seinfeld's girlfriends, if, you know, just thinks, I, I can't. Uh, and other people have said, oh, no, teeth. it's tiny. Honestly, hundreds and hundreds of tiny teeth. Uh, they, they, they sparkle, but they're, they're, they're way too small. Okay, this is. um. This is from our friend uh, Michael. 
thought, this is a belter. This is a... Uh, well, this is kind of a record your parents got hold of in a different different way. Years ago, my dad worked for a small haulage company and delivered delivered goods through London and the South East. His previous role working in a tea warehouse along the River Thames meant he knew quite a few dockers and would often arrive home with a delivery from the Royal Docks, items that were probably, you know, much cheaper than in the shop, <laughs> if you get my drift. Uh, my oh, dad, you do. Oh, I, oh, I do. Oh, uh, do. Anyway, uh, but they never quite fitted the bill. A 12-string guitar that was impossible to tune and play, a left-handed fishing reel for my right-handed brother, as well as loads of boots polish and ladies' cosmetics, because he'd often visit those factories too. But during the early 70s, uh, early and mid-70s, my dad also delivered records. Now we're talking, fellas. Now, uh, hey kids, hey kids, gather in, ladies and gentlemen. He also delivered records and promotional items to record shops. I'd often go out in his van during the school holidays, and I think this is where my love of vinyl began, as I'm a big record collector too. Yeah, well, I'll be the judge of that. Uh, I'm haunted by what I could have got my hands on as a kid. Bowie, Zeppelin, T-Rex, Nick Drake, Genesis, etc. I'll never know, because the only record I ever got excited about back then was Walt Disney's LP of The Runaway Train, which was given to me by a friendly shop owner. However, we did end up with a box of 30 or so copies of Curtis Mayfield's first LP on the Buddha label. Mint copy of that these days, about 75 quid if he's interested. Yes. Over the years, this fine record was given away to anyone who wanted one. In its time, different copies of it would have been used as a frisbee, sprayed gold and hung on my bedroom wall with my name on it, ready for the inevitable day when I'd be a multi-million selling <laughs> artist as well. One evening in the early 80s, my sister Alison ran upstairs to our flat and asked if there was any left, uh, as she needed some copies to pay a minicab fare. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out the driver was a fan and getting copies was very, very difficult. Over the time the copies dwindled, I sold the last few on a stall in Greenwich Market when I was hard up, uh, and I gave a member to each member of my band in the 90s. Well, there's 25 copies over the Ooh. years. That's not so bad. I, I don't know if it's worth telling because I did used to do it in the uh, stage show, the first one. Uh, my dad did for a brief period, uh, he got records at the docks. Pretty good ones, is it? Is it? Uh, mainly on CBS. And this is worth sticking with. Uh, if you don't, you'll be a, most, I think, people have heard me tell this story. <laughs> I don't even do peps. And what I used to do, he'd bring them home, and at the age of 10 and 11, I would get the train up to uh, uh, Whitechapel, on the underground train, and walk down Petticoat Market and sell the copies. Uh, mm. the extra copies to the stall holders. They all got to know me. And, of course, what I'd do with the money, buy more records with it. <laughs> you go out with more records and you just take, come home with more records and you just take out. But I did that for about 18 months. They all knew me. They knew the copies were good. But one time he came home with a box, 25 LPs in it, of a group called The Human Beast. Now I'm telling The Human Beast story. Now, <laughs> I knew all about um, rock music. Never heard of The Human Beast. I've got to tell you, nobody's ever heard of The Human Beast. I, I was pretty flexible in what I liked, perhaps. Mm. But I put this on, and even to my 11-year-old ears, this was caterwauling of a high <laughs> order. One track per side, and it was just the most ridiculously you know, pretentious nonsense of people who wanted to be psychedelic but didn't have a clue how to do it. The mm. Human Beast. And it became a running gag amongst all my friends, that The Human Beast. So, uh, any bad record? Is that The Human Beast? So what do they do with these 25 copies? Took them over, stall holders, took one each to see how it goes. A few weeks later, said, you can have that one back. <laughs> so I had these 25 copies. So we went over to, the, we lived near a, a bomb site, as you did, and we started using them as targets. We'd mm. put them there and we'd back off and we'd try and get as near to the hole in the middle as we could. We'd throw them up in the air just like our friend, they're like clay pigeon shooting, bang. We'd do all these things with them uh, and even the cover became a gag, you know, and it's gone. If ever you these days find yourself at loose end peps, 
go onto a site called Discogs, which is the big record-selling site. Look up The Human Beast. (laughs) The last copy of their album to sell on Discogs. £1,700 it went for. It is apparently a lost psych classic. I wonder it's lost. I, I, on that dump, shot up approximately £25,000 worth of late, uh, early 70s psychedelia. Uh, and it did, honestly, it's an absolutely true story. Oh. I had 25 copies in a, in a box. And they say, it's you know, there's not many copies around. I know why. <laughs> I know why, because Tommy Hodges was a lousy shot and went through track one before he got near the label. So uh, thank you very much, Adiv Michael, for uh, allowing me to tell that again. We've got someone on the phone. Yes, we've got Andy. Hey, Andy. Oh, hi, Dan. How, How are you doing? doing, Andy? Thank you very much for being there. I like the dramatic pause before anything and happens. Then, oh, hi. Yeah, like good for you, passing. Andy. Uh, Andy, have you ever fallen asleep in the cinema? Uh, I have, yes. Yeah, me and me too. The film Coma, it I'll promise happen. you, I fell asleep in the film Coma. <laughs> Everyone reminds me of that. Well, what have you fallen asleep during, uh, do you know, Andy? Um, we, go, we go quite a lot. And uh, mm. there, there are various things that uh, I do tend to nod off in. I can't, I can't really remember the last time. It, 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 uh, it depends if you have a, if you have dinner and a, a bit of wine before, and then it's the devil's own job. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't. It could be. Yeah, spent. most most comfy seat and a oh. dark cinema. It's Avatar. I think time. I nodded off. You went off to do an Avatar. I've well, never it's seen about that. Four hours long. Is it? Oh man. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'll tell you what. Me, you, and Andy, one day we'll have a good old lunch and we'll have a nice <laughs> kip in the Odeon, Leicester Square. <laughs> uh, why are you tugging our coat, Andy? What's the story? Well, well, relating to cinemas and mm. uh, peculiar things you've seen in them, mm. um, I'm, I'm going back to the 1979. I was I was in I was 12 years old, and we'd we'd not long moved to a small village in Wiltshire, so there was there was not much in the way of entertainment going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we did have a cinema in our nearest town, mm-hmm. in uh, in Westbury, uh, called the Vista Cinema. Oh, well, lovely! And, uh, it, <laughs> It was it was probably a really lovely cinema in years gone by, but it it, it was oh, it flip definitely it. Past, past its best. And it yeah, was a real flip it, a flip it as they call and them. Yeah, it, it used to only show um, um, soft porn. <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> oh, if only, if only I had my sleazy music here. <laughs> by the way, by the way, while you and I are talking today in in history, a new descending a staircase came in. Have a look at that on the internet if you if you like. 1911, Deschamps painted nude descending a staircase. So there it is. You you got this flea pit. Mm, specialist showing, taste. Showing, yeah. Exactly. Showing, it, it did it did a bit it did a bit of bingo I think from time to time, but, yeah. but I think it it definitely seen better days. Anyway. Yeah. For some strange reason, we noticed one time driving past that it was showing Moonraker, the, the Bond film, <laughs> yeah. which was released that, that year, 79. Yeah. And uh, me and my dad thought, oh, yeah, we, we ought to take advantage of that, go and, go and see that, you know, mm-hmm. often get the chance to see a film without going a bit further afield. So uh, we went off there, um, very tentatively stepped inside. It was... It was Definitely a flea pit. You knew that as soon as you walked in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, went upstairs, sat in the auditorium. There was there was probably no more than about fifteen or twenty others in there, mm-hmm. including um, at the back uh, a couple of rows of these really leery, beard up lads. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the film started. We got about halfway through, I think, and these lads were getting more and more obnoxious. Rowdy, rowdy, you know, yeah. cheer- Cheering at every appearance of a Bond girl with uh, oh, next to well, well, mind you, the, the reputation of the cinema goes before it in <laughs> yeah. that particular. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> you're right. But so this got so out of hand that the the film ground to a halt. We're all looking around. What's going on? What's going on? 
And then the manager came into the auditorium up the aisle with two massive, great um, German shepherds on the phone. <laughs> Barking good, and good for him. At, you know, really, really champing at the bit. Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's as, as a way of a threat to these these lads at the back. Mm -hmm. I think there was a certain amount of bravado going on to begin with. Oh yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. Then, all right. Then. But it, it, eventually they uh, they they quieted down. Yeah, we took the dogs away, and the film resumed. Yeah, but see, the thing is, it lets you know if he's um. Uh, Supposing he's used to showing, you know, nudes of 1964 or whatever his, his latest... Uh, the film when I was uh, young, we all tried to get into and couldn't, was called Seventeen. That was a, that was the big one. You couldn't get into that. But if he's used to that kind of crowd, of course he's got two German shepherds there because shouting yep. out is only one of the problems, I guess, he gets with uh, groups of men in there. And he, and he, he walks up the house. Oh, you'll be quiet. You'll, you'll watch the Bond film. Well, thank you very much indeed, my friend. Oh. And uh, yeah, right. enjoy, enjoy your snooze next time you're, uh, of course, uh, knocking around in. Indeed. One I'll more over there. Captain will be around. Uh, this is Alan from Saltair. This is um, knocking a while back about... Um, Names you gave your toys. Oh, we yes. had some okay. uh, teams mm -hmm. and things. Many years back, many years back, when my boys were youngsters, we had several Sabutio teams that oh, we right. used to play quite regularly. As is the norm, several players got knelt on, and arms and legs would disappear, and a, a goalkeeper who was dislodged. Sorry, uh. there was one goalkeeper who had become dislodged from the rest of his injured team. Mm -hmm. So my son Jonathan, unbeknownst to me, stuck blue tack in the shape of a wig on his goalkeeper's head oh. and said, "Look, <laughs> Lord Justice Taylor." <laughs> Oh, no, <laughs> Lord Justice Taylor. <laughs> Having a Sabutio, I see, I, I never liked Sabutio, and I thought I knew where that was going, you know. Too, it? Oh, it's, it's, it's a massive ball, and you might just, what do you need the players for? The, the magnetic football you used to play. Where you I had know, them, used to like being that, the keeper. That was brilliant. No, no, I, uh, but the, I think they would have piqued even my interest in the game, had... One of the they brought out the Law Justice Taylor Eleven <laughs> with little judges all over it. Well, I think we're pretty much done. We can uh, probably sw would you want to squeeze another one in. You want to get another? Uh, you can do. I know. I'm, I'm talking on behalf of the audience. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. What you got there, Peps? A message from beyond the grave. Oh, okay, okay. One minute. Let me find. Uh, there's my message from beyond the grave thing. Okay. This is from Rob. Now. I'm getting in touch to tell you a small but true tale of a message beyond the grave, even though it's not on your subject list again. Mm -hmm. That's all right, go on, go on. Mm -hmm. My dad sadly passed away six years ago in December, just after his 79th birthday. A sad time for us all. After the funeral in January, the family got to get together to discuss the spreading of the ashes. And my father had had many favourite places and we decided to sprinkle him in as, in as many as possible. Mm. My turn was to take him to Sheringham in Norfolk, a seaside town often visited by my parents. They can disperse him. Yes. Oh, okay. Have, have you heard Jay Rayner's story about what he did with? Yes, I did. I did see that. And, yes. and, and, yeah, I did Similarly, see that. He, he, they dispersed. I've never heard this before. Forgive me for interrupting there, but uh, I, I didn't know that was. Oh a no! Thing. My 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 late sister-in-law Tess left a list of where she'd like to places she'd never got to before she passed away. She's got. She's been all around the world, little bits. Did, did, yeah. See, I'd worry that in like I don't know. They, they find out how to put us back together again in like five <laughs> years' time or something. Yeah, poor Tess has got and, one and arm up the owl. That's what I'm going to say. And they, you, you come back and you, you look like Mr. Potato Head. But <laughs> sorry, so they're going to be, be so, dispersed, yeah. Dad used to love watching the fishing boats go, in a, go out. So me and my wife thought the perfect place would be on the beach after saying a few words and shedding a few tears. We set off back to the cottage laughing that Dad wouldn't be too happy 
being scattered right near the sea as he'd never learnt to swim. <laughs> on entering the cottage, we put the kettle on and I stopped in my tracks as I looked at my phone and I was receiving a call from Dad. I looked at my oh, wife. Man. She looked at me. We stared at the screen in horror. Dad was calling. Man, I'm I answered the phone and heard my mum say, Hello, love, did you spread the ashes? Oh, oh, Mum, okay. why, right. why, why, okay. why did the phone say Dad? Nice and calm, my mum said, Well, Dad still had credit left on his phone, oh. so I'm using it up. Oh, my lord. Oh. I thought my dad was going to tell me off from afar for putting him too close <laughs> to the sea, but it was just mum using up credit. Oh, man. God that, bless that, him. That is a tremendous dilemma. You've got plenty of credit. I, know, I speak with someone who barely understands the concept. You've got plenty of credit left on a phone, but it's somebody who's passed on's phone. Is that, is that, right, is, is that righteous? I think it might be righteous. Who uh, else did she ring? Man, we'll just try this. Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show. Radiating out across the airways. Come the sunshine or the rain. Come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session. Wave top to the recession. On the Danny Baker Show. Take it away. Always do, Wisby. And again. Climb up, go in, let's cozy down. Wave goodbye to that silly frown as we chase our cares away. In the tree. The fire's on, it's warm inside. We guarantee you'll be satisfied as we laugh the day away. It's that man again. Thank you very much indeed. It was Ollie and Gully looking after the uh, show today and everyone here at uh, Something Else who gives us the platform. Of course, that's Louise Pepper co-hosting on the other side of the table. But as always, it's chiefly yourselves. I had two bottles of wine last night before I went really? to bed. Yeah, I think it might have affected the performance. Oh, no, you carry that off well. Did I? Mm. OK, well, uh, I'll... I'll, I'll uh, I'll get up and go now with the drunk music playing, I think. Uh, you have to see you Saturday, everyone.